Your morning spirit is powered by decaf. Good morning, everyone, and thank you for tuning in. Today, I have Fivos with me. Good morning. My amazing host. My name is Dera, and we have other two members of our team, Ani and Alex, to join us later today for a discussion at the end of the show. So, a brief review of today's show. We're going to talk about ABG expansion plan with a guest and then we will talk about sex education with another guest. And then finally, we will have a discussion about football. So to start off, we will start with a song, the logical song by Super, Super Trump.
back and we have with us Radko and uh, we're going to speak about the UBG expansion plan. Um, can you make a quick introduction of yourself? Uh, hello everyone, my name is Radko and I'm currently part of HG. I've been part of HG for two years now and I'm a sophomore majoring in computer science and either mathematics or physics. All right. Uh, we uh, went out and we spoke with people uh, at AUBG. We asked them about the AUBG expansion plan. And we would like together to go and listen to uh, what people said around uh, AUBG. Are you aware of AUBG's expansion plan? No. No. I have heard about this plan, actually. I am, um, yeah. Uh, a little. Can you enlighten me on what it entails? I just heard about the expansion plan. Yes, I am aware from every for every expansion plan. Actually, from Professor Radevo from last semester. I have heard that they were planning to expand one of the capitals. All I know is that they're trying to expand Capital Three into maybe one or two more buildings right next to it. What do you mean by expansion plan? Like just getting more students in general, or just? Offering more beds in Skapto, because that's a struggle at the moment. And uh, what do you think about that? Pretty fucking disappointed, if you have to ask me. Uh, I think that ABG can find better ways to make up for the financial difficulty of the recession that is happening right now. And maybe focus on the current life of ABG and the current existing students. I don't know if their planning is good enough and efficient enough and we have the resources for it. I would say I think the expansion could lead to a more developed background at ABG, better clubs, more resources for things. As a senior, I, myself and my friends were kind of kicked off campus to give room to the freshmen, and a lot of us didn't like this. So in my opinion, the less students, the better, because that's why I think that we pay that big of amount of money to have a special um, like connection with the teachers. Do you think this will have a negative or positive impact? First off, some facilities would be restricted, less space, maybe it would diminish the quality of uh, social events or stuff like that. Uh, in the sense of it's gonna get crowded. I don't like it just because the parking situation is shit now and after they remove the parking it will be even worse. So it's kind of iffy, the whole situation. I would say it can overall bring positive change. There is a plus, I mean, there is a win and lose side of, of things always. If they have a well-organized plan and they will just perform some actions that will provide more facilities in general and provide all the necessary stuff for the student, it will be good in my opinion. Um, so we heard uh, kind of a mixture of opinions, like some people find it positive, some negative. Uh, but a very important part is that a lot of people don't know about it or they don't know exactly what it is. There's some confusion. So can you uh, tell us what is that AUBG expansion plan all about for the, our listeners? Well, this is quite a broad question. Uh, the AUBG expansion plan can be, in my opinion, divided into two. As someone uh, mentioned, it's either about expansion of the SCAPTO, as in territory and stuff, and expansion of LBG in terms of students, because these are two different parts we can talk about. Um, I would rather speak about the expansion of the SCAPTOs mm. uh, and have our focus there. So, Yeah, well, uh, the general idea is that as we're getting more students in, we need more beds, and therefore we have to expand the uh, the university's capitals 
Uh, the only Scapto that can be expanded for now is Scapto 3. And some of you that live in Scapto 3 may have seen these, I think they're green walls. Uh, this is where the other wings of the Scapto would go. Um, and they would be with just apartments as they are currently in Scapto 3. All right. Um, you said that we are trying to fix the bedroom or like the bed problem. Uh, but what about the, the seniors that have already uh, been sort of kicked out? Is there a plan for them to be rehabilitated back to the Scaptors? Or are we building the Scaptors just for new students? Uh, well, I guess kicked out is a bit of a strong word. Um, <laughs> however, I feel like uh, once the Scapto is built, there will be enough beds to accommodate all of them since currently we had some free beds, which means that there are not that many students that would like to live in Scapto. And also, I feel like if you're a senior, it's okay to live uh, outside of Scapto because, I mean, it's your last year. You have to get ready for what's coming up next. Yeah, no, that's a fair that's a fair point. Um, another concern that we heard was about the whole uh, parking uh, situation, uh, which is already kind of bad. Um, people are parking their cars everywhere. Uh, and if the expansion happens, it's just going to make things worse. Um, what's in for that? Well, there were huge discussions on this topic um, some ideas were rejected some were said, some were accepted um, from what I know there will be underground parking um, in Scapto 3 once they build it and if they keep on with the plan that was uh, decided upon there will be a new building on the ABF loan which will also have underground parking and they were thinking of transforming the parking that is right next to ABF into a building with underground parking. Yeah, so there will be another building in uh, ABF loan, you said? Uh, yeah, so the cur currently where the loan is, where all the events happen, uh, they plan on building a building there and having the loan on the other side. So in front of the cafe, they will try to connect everything together. Uh, so it will be one big loan, just like the other one. And on the other side, we'll have the building. Yeah, so there will be technically less loan for students and less uh, space for those events? Well, after doing some 3D modeling and calculations, the team that was this, that uh, presented this idea, it's about the same since, as we all know, the only part of the loan that is being used for events is the one closest to ABF, and it's it will be exactly the same just on the other side where the cafe would be. And I feel like that's a positive because usually what happens is you have an event on the ABF loan, but a bunch of students just go to the cafe to buy stuff and go back and this will be a shorter path for them. Yeah. And uh, for the parking again, for the underground, um, will the park, will the park, the underground parkings be built simultaneously with the buildings or will it be a more long term uh, project? Um, I don't know because this is something that the engineers have to say, but I'm pretty sure when you're building a building and you have to have underground parking, it you start with the underground parking first because it doesn't make sense to build the building and then start digging underneath it. So. And are there uh, permits and everything agreed with the municipality? Because I know this is a very like bureaucratic kind of thing to build all the new buildings and the underground. And I... I think we have a permit for expanding Scapto, but they also have to uh, agree to the plan that is currently uh, 
going on so they'll have to agree with what we want to build so i'm not quite sure yet yeah um now anything from you valeria yeah i was wondering maybe we could go back to the second part of the expansion plan and the students because i think that a lot of students are curious about let's say the drop in the quality of education uh, if we expand abg and more freshmen come uh, which means that probably the let's say yeah the quality is gonna drop i think this is not an issue of the freshmen it's more of an issue of the covid situation because uh, if i have to be honest during covid times i was cheating on tests obviously because we were all online and currently all the grades are inflated. So I believe we'll have a bunch of classes, for example, two or three that would be inflated and there will be less performance. But after that, everything should normalize in my opinion. And also most of the students that cheated during COVID and got in will most likely get out at their sophomore or junior because it gets hard. And we talk a lot about more students, but is there any plans on um, expanding the faculty as well because one of the best things about ABG is the fact that we have a very small students to professors ratio so our classes are pretty small right around 20-30 people so if we have more students how will that impact the education quality okay so expanding the faculty uh, we are currently doing this even though some professors are retiring, we're trying to hire new ones. Um, as in, in terms of um, the quality, I am pretty sure there will be larger classes, for example, from 20 to 30 or 35, uh, but there will also be more sections, so it should be fine in my opinion. Okay, and would you say that in general, from your point of view, will it bring this expansion from both sides, will it bring more positive or negative changes? Well, I think having more people is always better because you have more diverse opinions and you also have more diverse expertise. So it should be better. And also with more students and more professors, we're hopefully going to be higher on the lists of top universities on the Balkans and Europe in general. Yeah. Um, about the the space thing, again, um, and like the ratios and stuff, uh, another concern I heard from people was that we might not have enough space in the, um, for example, the the football court or the AUBG cafe is going to have so many people now. It's already full, like you hardly find place to sit. What's going to happen with that? The the gym, like it's going to get overcrowded and it's going to lower the quality of life in general on campus. Well, this is something I haven't thought about, um, but it's a valid concern. Uh, off the top of my head, I suppose the new, the two new buildings should be able to solve that because there will be also hangout places at the two buildings, uh, and they will, they will plan on moving some of the administration from ABF to the new buildings, so it will be a bit less crowded in terms of there will be no employees, so it should be more space for students. So the space where currently we have admissions and stuff, uh, they will turn into um, study rooms or hangout spaces. Well, uh, if the plan goes through, the building that I said will be built right next to ABF, uh, it's supposed to be entirely just admissions and some other um, administration stuff. So if they do that, it should be free for students to sit. Yeah, all right. Uh, mm. And I, 
Yeah, I think one of our our let's say last question is we're wondering is there an estimate date of the construction because I think that everyone is very curious about that. I am not sure. I don't think there is an estimate date because uh, they have to first do all of the pitching, then get funding, then get the permit, and then start building. Uh, but the only thing I know is that if they start expanding Scapital 3, it will start during the summer when there's no students and they can do a bunch of noise and it will continue throughout the semester. Okay, yeah. sounds and, great. Uh, one last thing for me. Uh, a lot of people were like not fully understanding what that means or they didn't even know about it. So I, I feel like there is some, a bit of poor communication and if we bring more students, how is it going to affect that communication? Like, it's already poor and it's going to maybe get poorer. Well, uh, seeing as I was part of the team, I can say that we sent a lot of emails. We organized a bunch of town hall meetings. Um, there were a few students that came, at least to the ones that I've been to, because they were a lot and I couldn't go to all of them. Uh, but there were some students, and I think it's more of that the students when they see an email from HG or anything administration related they don't really care so they don't read it uh, so I would urge everyone that is interested to just read the emails alright thank you so much Radko thank you for joining us and we're going to take a short break with a song by Bruno Mars Locked Out of Heaven
welcome back. And now we have our second guest with us, Neda. Hello, Neda. Thank you so much for joining joining us. Would you like to introduce yourself a little bit? Uh, sure. First of all, thank you for having me. Uh, my name is Neda. I'm a senior in this university. I'm majoring in journalism and mass communications, but they changed the name of the major apparently. It's oh. media studies. I didn't know that. When yeah. did they change? I think like the documentation is like processing right now, but it's good to know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Thank you so much. So now we're going to talk about sex education. And to start with, we walked around campus and asked our students, ABG students, uh, several questions about sex education. And let's hear their answers. Was sex sex ed taught in your school? And if yes, how was it? In my school, it was not taught in class. But we did have like an additional club that was called a preventions club that went... uh, door-to-door, so to speak, to the classes, explaining and talking about sexual intercourse, uh, prevention, uh, contraception, stuff like that. They divided us into girls and boys, and girls, they taught us how to use a pad, how to put a condom on a banana, and boys, they only taught how to use a condom. Sex ed was not taught in my school. We had a, a lady, maybe a nurse, supposedly, walk into our class one day and just talk to us about condoms and they just like brought a cucumber in and we practiced on that. Yes, it was. Granted, I was in the UK back then and we had like special assemblies where sexual health professionals would come and talk to us and we also given free chlamydia tests that time as well, like for all the students who wanted to get one. However, a big issue that I had with that is that they were teaching heterosexual sexual education, which is very different because gays and lesbians need a different sort of education on how to keep themselves safe. It was actually taught in my school during my biology class, but of course we were separated into boys and girls. Um, But we were taught how to use a condom or what intercourse is. Not really. I would have a health class um, once every few years or semester um, that talked about things like STDs and safe sex. And do you think there should be more resources available on campus for students regarding uh, sex, health and relationships? I think it would be good. They should continue putting uh, free female hygiene products in the bathrooms. Definitely. Uh, This is something that should be more widespread not only on campus. I can just say I didn't really know there was any resources uh, because I don't think this is something that's been marketed enough. Yeah, I hardly see the pads in the, in, uh, where the sanitary products are in the, in the bathrooms, in the female bathrooms. They're hardly replaced. Um, definitely free STD tests and especially like make it as events where professionals come in and with like a shit ton of tests and where every student can immediately on the spot get tested. I found that was very useful because you don't feel like the odd one out because you see everybody around you also taking them. Even if some people do it as a joke, it makes you feel less uncomfortable about having to go through the process of going there by yourself and getting it done. Well, yes, of course. I mean, we've all heard of the scaptosex from MH, so we know what is happening in this university. Plus, uh, every time you go to the doctor, the school, his first question is, are you pregnant? So 
I mean, of course there should be better security. All right, so we're going to discuss these answers in a second, but before you do, Neta, can you tell us a little bit about um, the podcast that you did about sexual education and what inspired you to do that? Sure, so it started as an assignment uh, and I was inspired by um, the baskets of feminine hygiene products that I saw all around campus. I haven't seen that anywhere in Bulgaria uh, done. I do know that they have like machines and bathrooms in the States and somewhere in Europe, but never around here. So I gathered a couple of girls from my class and I asked them how they were prepared for this when they were younger. Um, have they seen free menstrual products anywhere else? And the answers that I got were actually quite similar to what we heard just now. You know, people are um, very, I wouldn't say poorly educated, but it needs improvement. And there's a running theme that boys are separated from the girls and so on and so forth. Do you have any other comments um, about the answers that, you've, that we've just heard? Anything maybe surprised you or you felt like, oh yeah, same same for me same for pretty much everybody i spoke to even for me um we weren't separated into boys and girls but um we did have a special extra class and the condom on a banana you know or on a cucumber that's a running theme and they talked a lot about stds but nobody really talked about sexual pleasure um which to me is like weird because i feel like we have to talk about sex and Because it's great, everybody has it, but nobody talks about it. Most people don't know um, how to, f I don't know, feel good. So I think that should be expanded, you know. We should be a more open society in, the, in those terms. And it's really hard to do when we talk about some such sensitive topics as sexual education and sex. So what do you think can be done for it to not be as a taboo topic. Hmm, that's that's interesting. I just think that from a younger age, um, people should know that this is something that's going to happen to you if you're not asexual, of course, because not all people are interested in sex, but uh, people should discuss it more. Um, and I think people should discuss it more with their children, because I don't know about you guys, but... My mom only taught, taught me about pads and we didn't ever talk about anything else. Um, people should be more open with their kids. I think same for me. Do you think that... At, I think that it's a very sensitive topic, again, uh, thinking of when we should start teaching sex education, uh, when we should start talking to kids about it. And I think that it's true for so many people that our parents haven't really talked to us about it. And it feels really awkward to talk about it. And it's so much easier to find out information from like your friends or internet, which is not the greatest source most of the time. So yeah, the same was for me. Uh, I'm from Kazakhstan and I don't think that we've had any sex education at all. We also had something similar to like, we were divided into boys and girls and we were taught about menstrual cycle and 
that's about it. I don't even think that we've talked much about sex itself. What was was the is the situation kind of similar in Greece? Um, I guess for us, like for, in all schools, um, like in in my city at least, in all of them, uh, what they do is there's a day, one day through your whole academic career in, in school, uh, where someone will come like an, some sort of expert. Uh, we're not separated in boys and girls. We're all together, uh, but they're only really teaching you about condoms and how to protect yourself, which is it's kind of just telling you don't have sex, don't do it. Like they're scaring you away from it, uh, which I think this is what is making it a taboo. That they're making it something that you should not speak about. Yeah, and isn't it weird? Uh, you mentioned that when is the right time to start talking about about this to kids? I think um, children are like you can tell when they start getting interested in sex, especially if you're like an interested parent and you notice these these things, you know. Um, but yeah, what what is weird to me is how like there is a taboo around sex, but there's also a taboo around uh, like menstruation and the cycle yeah, for women. For sure. uh, and I don't get that because it's like such a huge part of of what women are and what they go through that I don't understand why you would divide boys from girls when you explain these things because it's natural, you know? Yeah, I think that um, once I... Um, when I was, like, in middle school, I started my period and I wanted uh, my dad, I think, to go and buy some pads and my mom said, well, he's a man, like, he should not go and buy pads. I will go or, like, you should go yourself while I was on my period. And it's really odd to me. I don't think that it should be that way. Yeah. I think in post-Soviet countries, it's a lot more, like, it's a bigger problem. Because yeah. my mom didn't ever talk about anything with her mom. She didn't even know that she was going to get a, a period. Yeah. So I think it, it is getting better, but we should be more open about it. Yeah. You know, I, I mean, about the uh, parts that you mentioned, uh, even in Greece, like let's say you go buy pads for, let's say your mother or your sister, like someone just asks you from your family to bring and you're, you're seen walking around, for example, with pads, that people are gonna like mock Look you or you. something. Yeah, and yeah. Um, I think, again, that's why it's stigmatized because just people don't get it, kind of, that it's just a natural cycle, like it's a natural thing, it happens mm -hmm. so. And Neda, you started talking about pads in the bathrooms, what you got you interested in that. Did you find out why it was done at ABG? Anything interesting about this project? I've heard it something about from RAs. Yeah, it's like an RA wellness type of deal. Uh, they wanted to um, reconstruct the Vendi Plus machine that's outside of Scapto 3. But it's an Elevate project and there was a lot of strings attached. Um, so they just decided with the funding that they have for the wellness, I think it's 75 per RA, $75. So they just combined it and they said, well, yeah, let's do it because it's such a common problem. And um, apparently one of the girls ran into, like she needed one one day and she just was in a lecture. She couldn't mm -hmm. go anywhere. She was unprepared. So um, it happened to me too. And I saw the, the basket and I was like, oh my God, I felt so seen for the first time ever. It felt so good, you know, it felt like a community was building around yes. this thing that nobody ever talks about. So I was like, yes, progress. Yes. 
I think that if it's a common experience for many, many women, mm-hmm. and it's something that, as you said, it makes you feel seen, it makes you feel better, and makes you feel like, oh, somebody just saved your life mm-hmm. because you don't want you, you just needed that. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, and uh, and also the uh, in the Vox Pop someone said that they don't see them anymore and that would explain why they don't see them because it's an RA project and they just don't have more money to put in that so yeah. maybe the university itself should step in and kind of help the project oh for sure like make a li- little vending machines or something you just put like 20 um, stutinki and then you get one yes it's, it's not that uncommon Uh, elsewhere and I think AUBG can be like a leader in that in that field you know well we really really hope that we will get more pads in the bathrooms <laughs> yeah. and we really hope that people will become more open uh, about sex education and will be more willing to talk about it so thank you so much Neda for joining us today thank you for having me and again. now we will have a short break and we will listen to Rewind by Greek night when the lights low and it seems at times you only favor what's your favorite flavor Whoa. who do you become late night when it feels right sometimes i find myself here sometimes i find myself here yeah yeah i'm finna take it all back rewind yeah yeah I get you ways, I get you ways, I get you all of it Oh my God, you looking so delectable Oh my God, you make me feel the way, yeah I'm feeling different when you feeling me But I'm running out of, oh, shit I don't want you talking in all bad, man I could take you places that you would've been Could've been and should've been, yo. You see, I'm pulling right through Way, way, back it up now Check my location, I'm out, what you want now Kept the rotation, she's passing the blunt round Sit down, why the fuck you talking about a calm down life? Who the fuck is this dude? Need us talking for the moment, ain't no issue. We come late night when the lights low, and it seems at times you only favor. What's your favorite flavor? Who do you become late night when it feels right? Sometimes I find myself here, sometimes I find myself here. Yeah, yeah, I'm finna take it all back, rewind. Rewind by Greek. And indeed, we have a Greek here in the studio with us. No, I'm just kidding. I mean, I'm not kidding. We do have a Greek in studio with us today. Uh, but that's not the topic. The topic right now is going to be football. Boo! Boring! Well, not really, because we are going to make this conversation very interesting. 
uh, even though you don't like football, because this is not only about football, this is about corruption, it's about money and how money gets mishandled. And uh, we're going to talk about Bulgaria and, and then we're going to take it even internationally. So first, let's listen to this interview we have prepared for you with Rumiana Penzova. Who is an executive assistant to the RBG president and also an RBG graduate, specializing in journalism and as well a big fan of football. Uh, hello, Rumi, how are you? Hello, thank you so much for having me uh, on radio. Or I think obviously football as a sport cannot exist without money and nowadays without a lot of money. But uh, when when there's too much money, in my opinion, then things start to get out of control and people and owners and people behind the scenes start to, you know, mishandle and misuse this money for bad things instead of nice transfers or, you know, facilities and other things. Right. Of course, it affects the quality of the game and you can see that it is to be seen in, in the big European leagues. Uh, not only the, the English one, obviously, Bundesliga is another example that, uh, for example, Bayern Munich, okay, they don't have this money from the Middle East or stuff like that, but still they're the richest team and still they win 11, 12 consecutive years. Uh, so you very clearly can see the effect when a team is richer and when you compare it with the so-called smaller teams, because I don't want to call them smaller, because each team, you know, has something to contribute, but unfortunately, yeah, that's the reality. In England as well, we can see that Manchester City as well have a few consecutive titles the past couple of years. Um, surely it cannot be contributed only to the money, of course, to the players, the staff, the coaching staff. It's not only money, but money plays the biggest role. Really, I think, now that you mentioned uh, Red Bull Leipzig, I think there was a whole scandal surrounding them because uh, I don't think they were allowed to be called Red Bull because Red Bull, as we know, is like the, this energy drink company and they obviously it's their biggest sponsor. But I, from what I remember, I don't think they were allowed to be called that. I think they are called RB Leipzig, which is we, quite obvious to me and you and a million other people what it stands for. But still, um, they find loopholes, I think. So, uh, it surely affects the integrity of the game. It's Sometimes it's non-comparable. For example, in England, you cannot compare Man City and let's say Luton Town, who are the newcomers this year, like one of the one of the newcomers. Um, I really hope it does not. I really hope we get to see more fairy tales, like for example the Leicester City one from 2016, which was completely when they won the league. This was amazing. Like they are, they were in no way a major team in England back in those days, but they managed to do the almost impossible. Um, and I think I think we will still have some fairy tales like this. I think uh, not always lost in the big money. For example, uh, Hirono in, in Spain right now, they're doing really good. They're second, I think, in uh, La Liga. They have the potential to do something great to join the Champions League next season. And Hirono is, a, you know, probably by a lot of people's standards a small team so-called small team so I don't think all is lost but surely the big money do have a huge impact do you expect some of the leagues to uh, be presented but 
by fewer teams as a result of the let's say uh, raising uh, standards among bigger crops like again not bigger crops but the richer ones two years ago i think the super league that was planned uh which was insane in my opinion it, i think it was a an attempt of these so-called bigger like richer teams to make their own league this was absolutely crazy in my opinion and i i did not think it would happen it did not happen obviously um there were some rumors i think recently of reviving it again i don't think it will happen i think it will just stay as it is like the status quo that is right now there will there will always be these like richer teams and not so rich ones um, so uh, in bulgaria it's unfortunately similar as you said other than the couple of teams at the top such as like Ludogorets for example who also have been uh, consecutive champions for like more than 10 years now um, yeah Ludogorets <laughs> cannot be compared in any way to Pirin Bogograd so this is unfortunate but uh, you never know you truly never know uh, yeah as a person from Bogograd I, I always uh, cheer for Pirin so maybe they'll bring us a fairy tale sometime let's think on the Bulgarian topic I'm gonna refer to the words of a very famous uh, football boss uh, Venceslav Stefanov who once said what do you mean by corruption I haven't heard of such thing it must not exist in our championship meanwhile uh, his team was accused of uh, bribing referees and unfair uh, actions outside the pitch so what do you think Bulgarian football as a whole me personally I'm quite disappointed in it I don't really watch it much uh, I do watch Pirin because it's my hometown team it's you know for the of sake of uh, of nostalgia and all that um, but other than that I've been quite disappointed with the, the state of it and yeah f uh, on one hand the fact that we as well such as in other countries that we mentioned earlier have let this happen this hegemony of one team for the past 10 years uh, which is not bad and I actually admire Udugorets for everything that they've done because they entered the Champions League, you know, they played, they brought, so to speak, uh, teams such as Liverpool and Real Madrid here to, to Sofia, to Bulgaria, uh, when they played in the in the Champions League groups. So this, this was impressive, but still it's, uh, um, I don't want to speak of, you know, how and why and so on, how they acquire their money. Um, but yeah, yeah, Bulgarian football, it's, it's known to, to have a problem with corruption. Um, I think, unfortunately, UEFA and FIFA, as the major governing body, both these bodies have their own problems with corruption. And when when you have these problems at the very top, it's really not surprising that, you know. We as fans sometimes think that we cannot do much, but we can. Protesting is the first thing that comes to mind. We've seen in Bulgaria what happened. A couple of months ago. Yes, exactly. Very recently. Uh, so beginning with that with protesting uh, of course we shouldn't take it to extremes as there were some uh, reported police brutality and stuff like that which is also again embarrassing it shouldn't happen uh, but protesting peacefully is a very good way for us as fans to show discontent and uh, to show that we we want certain things changed do you believe that the current president Borisov Mikhailov uh, do you believe he was part of the downfall of Bulgarian football? Uh, I think surely, unfortunately. 
I think so. I think uh, he should have resigned uh, like earlier. Um, there's been calls for his resignation multiple times in previous years. Uh, he refused and finally it happened, but you know, at what cost. So I think yes, for sure. I think again, this is very unfortunate because he played such a huge role when he was a player for our country and uh, a true you know, legend exactly uh, and in 1994 when we got this uh, you know um, when the US World Cup obviously uh, and I think this is truly embarrassing to for it to come to that point where you're a legend for our for Bulgarian football and then you yourself take Bulgarian football to its downfall uh, I wanted to ask you like how the max uh, match fixing and briberies to referees and all these scandals contributed to the level of development in Bulgarian football, like talents from 14 to 16 years, how would they affect their development in the future? Uh, it's a very bad example to set for, for young players and for young people in general. Uh, it's the worst example possible because it sets an example of oh we can win the easy way you know so I really hope they don't take it as an example and that they learn you know that it's a bad thing and that's not what football is about and the bigger lesson here is that winning is also not everything like okay you fix a match you win it it will mean something in that particular moment but then you know you need to lose sometimes <laughs> in everything in life you know not only in football that's why i like football because it teaches you a lot about life uh, but you need to learn how to lose as well and you need to learn how to win but with integrity and not you know with some other people's help um, so. it was great hearing you here thank you it was a pleasure all right guys so as you heard from heroes to villains how does that work? How greedy do you have to be? I mean, it's a, it's a, it was a great interview first and foremost, and we want to really thank Rumiana for that. Um, yeah, shout out to to Rumi. Rumi. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, I I feel like money and all that stuff is really ruining that fantasy, the the football romantics, because you spoke about football romance by calling out for the fairy tale teams. Right and how she hopes to see another one, but she doesn't know. And like in Bulgaria, uh, the situation is similar. Um, that you don't no longer see those fairy tale teams, those teams that do something. So yeah, what, what's your opinion on that? Yeah, I completely agree with you here. Like Bulgarian football has been struggling for the last decade or so. Um, there is not big competition. There are always the three main teams, uh, Levski, Ceseka and Tudugorets. They have the most money, but even though some teams are trying to uh, change the game, change the competition, it's still really hard to see like a smaller team like Pirin from Bogorovra to like reach the top. It's really, really hard. Yeah, I, the last thing that something like that happened in Greece was in 2007 with a team actually from my city, which is the only rural team coming from a rural city that has ever won something in Greek football. All the other teams 
come from either Athens or Thessaloniki and they're the four big, like the only teams that go to the Champions League, the only teams that make it, that bring money, the only teams that are owned by rich people. So did, uh, which team is that? Uh, it's called AEL. Oh, AEL. AEL Larisas. And it's literally, it's, uh, like, it was a fairy tale team, let's say, when this happened. And, uh, and they won the league? They won the the champ, not the champ, yep, the like a trophy, like the championship, not the the league itself. Oh, yeah, but yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, and I, ever ever after the team was just uh, kind of ruined. <laughs> was the city on fire after winning it? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I assume. Well, I I recall situations in Albania. Well, probably before. Three, four years old, uh, ago, uh, there was this team called Skanderbeu, which uh, kind of pulled the Juventus in Albania. Uh, they they won, uh, I would say, maybe fi- five, six leagues in a row until they suddenly didn't. Because, I mean, when they reached the top, it was like they got into Europa League, they played... Uh, pretty important teams and they brought as as Rumi said uh, as Ludogorets brought uh, Real Madrid and Arsenal and Liverpool in Bulgaria they brought important teams in in Albania as well uh, but just shortly after like within a year they got sanctioned by UEFA by UEFA for match fixing and they were relegated from champions to relegated it was it was crazy but albanian football is not known to be let's say very fair to say the least to say to just to be mellow and pretty welcome pretty welcome yeah. thing <laughs> it's it's it, so the the president of the federation right now the guy has been winning the elections for maybe the past let's say 20 uh, 10 to 15 years uh, there is no chance in the world you can uh, someone can go against him and win the elections like i know i have a lot of i have a lot of friends who uh, play professionally and they started in you know as you start like 10 8 years old 12 and you you go uh, higher up and in order to be called up from the national team you had to pay a, a certain sum a certain amount of money Plus, you had to know someone in the, you know, in the administration of the uh, Albanian Football Federation. There is, you could have all the talent in the world, but it wouldn't absolutely get you far. Uh, but yeah, anyway. I think it's the same in Bulgaria, like absolutely the same. Borisov Mikhailov, who recently resigned after nearly 18 years, 18 years in which Bulgarian football has reached its biggest downfall. Like we haven't been to Euros or World Cups uh, before a couple of months, as we mentioned in the interview with Rumi. There were huge protests, like more than 5,000 people, fans uh, of teams from the whole country. They came to Sofia, uh, they burned cars, they burned all the streets near the office of the Bulgarian Football Union. It was also a bit sad, but it was one of the things that had to happen in order to see a change. 
Yeah, and I, I can actually speak from a personal example because I I have been playing. I was I used to play football for like 10, 12 years since I was eight. Uh, I was going to a football academy, then played a bit semi-professional. Um, and when I was in the academy, I would not get as much play time. And my father, like he was pretty upset. He came up to the coach and he literally asked, like, why don't you play my son? Like, is he not good? Um, and uh, the guy just said, it's not that I don't want to play him, it's just the other guy is paying more. <laughs> so, um, like, Love. my father was just startled. Like, he, he didn't have to say such. He didn't know what to say because it's, it was not about that the coach didn't want to play me, just the other guy was literally going up to him and saying, I'm giving you this money, play my son. So, Well, it seems pretty fair to me, you know. You got no money? No, you can't play. Easy. Yeah, so guys, you hear it, like, if you want your kids to play, bring money. Yeah. <laughs> if you want to become a football player, invest in stocks first, get rich as hell, and then buy yourself the starting lineup position. Okay? That's how it works from now on. Uh, just kidding. Don't do that. Train every day hard and you'll get there one day. Or not. You know, one day. Life is not unfair. Life is not fair. Um, let's talk a bit internationally. What teams do you guys support? Uh, I'm a uh, I'm a petrol petrol guy. <laughs> uh, Manchester City. City. What about you? Yeah, Manchester City as well, man. Oh, <laughs> we are two what? <laughs> two big guys. It's unfortunate, but uh, what can you what can you do? <laughs> so you two come in here and you you talk football, you talk sense into me, and you are Man City fans. Man, man, I have the reasons. No, 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 no. I no, do no, have no, the no. reasons. Come on, L- let me tell you. Why. Okay, I'll it, I'll it give talk- you. It all started in 2007, 2008. We had two Bulgarian players in Man City. The infamous Valery Buzinov, who played for Juventus, and uh, half a dozen Italian teams, and also Martin Petrov. They were like the heroes of Bulgarian football with Berbatov and Stylian Petrov. And that's why a lot of people started supporting Man City from then. And then also the big money thing happened, but it's how football works nowadays, man. What yeah. do you say? Well, yeah, personally, that's, I was just amused by the 2012 miracle and, you know, the fairy tale. <laughs> and ever since I support. So I started before the money came in. But So you started at the Aguero? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. 93rd minute, man. <laughs> yeah. But still, yeah, finally you won a Champions League after, you know, buying uh, half of the world's population. <laughs> and, you know, that's 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 pretty good. It's an achievement. Maybe maybe in your uh, grandchildren's lifetime, Man City will reach AC Milan in terms of trophies and glory. Surely. <laughs> Probably. Maybe if you're lucky. We're going to be here again after 20 years, let's say. Let's say. <laughs> and we're going to talk again about it. Yeah, sure. Surely. I mean, you guys know you guys know there's no comparison for that. So yeah, I'll just I'll just let that slide. So talking about oil money, I wanted to get a little bit into the Saudi Arabian League and the Super League uh, and and all these money-centered competitions that are happening right now in the world. I be- by the way, I have a very hot take. I think the Super League should be established. I think there is already a Super League going on right now, and that's in England. Uh, that's, uh, I think... That's the contemporary Super League. And uh, as, as Rumi said, small teams are always... There are always going to be small teams in air quotes. 
uh, and the hi- hierarchy is going to be uh, always there. So, so first of all, what do you think of the Super League, and what do you think of the Saudi Arabian League? Well, it first when it's about money, it's always uh, how do you spend them and. Obviously, all the teams that are about to enter the Super League, like Barcelona, uh, Juventus, and all the bigger teams from other countries, they know how to spend it. Uh, they they have shown it. So I guess the Super League will be a really interesting one. But yeah. And for me, I don't really have something to say other than for I want to mainly speak about the Saudi Arabian League. Um, they have the money, they're buying the players. I, I don't know how much it is about corruption, but uh, they just have the money, they get the players. They're trying to make their own European football. And they're still shit. <laughs> yeah, I see. I see. Well, uh, it seems like we are in the end of our show here. We want to thank you guys for listening. And hopefully this was an interesting one for you. We went through different topics and closing it up, I uh, wish we had more time for, for the last one. Actually, I would have roasted the hell out of these Man City fans. But that's all the time we had. Uh, and we are going to wrap it up with uh, Wonderwall. So thank you for listening and have an amazing day ahead. And be productive. Get out of the couch and whatever bed you're sitting at. Bye-bye. be the day that they're gonna throw it back to you by now you should have somehow realized what you gotta do 